Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Thanks for tuning in today. You guys have found me here at my little corner of the internet. Today is Mailbox Monday, and I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes or so answering your questions. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, I'm glad you guys have joined me today. I always love answering your questions here at Mailbox Monday. I'm trying to do it more often throughout the week so I don't fall so far behind. But if you're interested in submitting questions to me, the way to do that is to go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. There's a form there and you can leave your stories for off the bench. You can leave questions for the podcast. Uh, Really quickly, I wouldn't tell you a couple of things that probably won't get answered here at the show. So if you send in a question to me, that has anything to do with a legal issue. If you're looking for legal advice, I'm probably not the person to talk to about that. If you want medical advice, I'm not the person. If you're talking about issues related to faith and culture, if you've got a question about behavior in children, or you've got a question about uh, how we should address a particular issue inside the culture, those are really good questions. uh, And we will try our very best to get them into the queue and onto the show. So Also, we're interested in and we are collecting off-the-bench stories. And so if you want to let me know how you've been getting off the bench and onto the battlefield, that is also the place to submit those. Before I move on today, I want to say thank you to several of you who've been who have become sponsors here at the show. That's exciting for me. I'm going to read your names today. Brandy in Washington. Thank you, Brandy, for supporting this podcast. McKinsey in Texas. Leah in Washington, Ron in Texas, Julie in Washington, who said, thank you for speaking the truth. And I'm just so excited to hear uh, to hear you guys again supporting the show. This is a big part of what we do is the sponsorships here. Obviously, this podcast cannot exist on our ads alone. It's a massive, important thing that you guys do in supporting the show every week. So I want to thank you guys for doing that. Also, you have been leaving reviews for the show, and I have not read them for a while And so we put some on here. I'm going to read them to you. And uh, thank you guys for leaving reviews. And you can leave them at Spotify. You can leave them at Apple, iTunes. There's so many places for you to leave reviews for the show and share this podcast whenever you get the opportunity. So these were a couple of those that have been left recently, and I wanted to read them to you. So the first review I'm going to read today came from Five Kids Mama. And she said, Heidi, your podcast is so encouraging. I began listening a few weeks ago, and I'm so glad as it has inspired me and spurred me along in my homeschool journey. May God continue to bless your ministry and congressional run. Thank you for that. The Kelburns said, the podcast is a sanity saver and a motivator and an encourager. I love this podcast for so many reasons, been following it now for years as a mother, but lately been so much more grateful as a Christian woman. Heidi has stirred my heart and my desire to know God, to become rather than just be. And I'm striving to know God in his word now to be in it every day. If you haven't listened yet, give it a try. I love that you guys are are leaving these reviews. If you want to leave a review, you probably could have a good shot at getting it read here on the show. I want to thank you guys for that. Maria Hall said, podcast with truth. In today's world where truth is relative, even to Christians, Heidi speaks biblical truth, God's truth. She's one of the voices through a podcast that has encouraged us to pull our son out of public school and start homeschooling. We have not regretted a single minute. Our only regret is we wish we would have done it years ago. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Maria, for leaving that uh, review for us. We're going to continue to read these, and uh, I'm excited to see you guys leaving the reviews. Thank you very much for that. All right, I'm going to jump right into your questions today, and I'm going to talk about just two topics today. The first one is from Whitney in North Carolina. She said, hello, Heidi. I'm a mom, a homeschool mom of three 
with a question about homeschooling. In podcasts prior, you have mentioned how in the morning you had a learning time together and in the afternoon, the children each pursued the things that they were interested in. I know you're not a fan of the library, so logistically, how did they do that? And what does it look like from a day-to-day perspective? So Whitney, this is a great question. I get this question a lot, and it's one of the reasons I wrote a book called The Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight. I'm going to link back to that in the show notes today, or you can just Google it. That book can be found almost anywhere that books are sold. Again, that book is called The The Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight, How to Fit Your Size 16 Day into a Size 10. And the reason I wrote the book is because many of the practical questions that I get really need to be uh, tailored for families. And so it'd be impossible for me to say, I did this for my family, and so therefore you should do it and it'll work for your family because honestly, what works for me may not work for you. But there are some principles that I think are very valuable that most homeschooling families probably should employ, especially if you're having a hard time uh, getting everybody on the same page or getting out the door when you want to or getting things done. The first thing, and I'm very um, uh, hooked on this idea, is that you should have a schedule if at all possible. Now, when I say schedule, I don't mean you have a schedule and then you never deviate from it or you have a schedule and then come hell or high water, you're just going to continue to do the thing. The reason I'm uh, in such favor of schedules is because the schedule then allows you to have a framework so that if you get distracted, if the phone rings, if the baby you know needs your attention, whatever it is, you can get back to it and say, oh yeah, that's right, we were here. So we're going to continue kind of in, in this forward motion. It helps keep you in a forward motion. So a schedule is a really good idea. In the Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight, I actually took quite a bit of time and I laid out lots of different kinds of schedules for people that have different home environments. So in other words, there was a mom that worked from home. She was a piano teacher. There was a mom with, I think, eight kids and a mom with a single uh, child, with with an only child. And so I would just encourage you to check that book out. Look at the schedule because I think the schedule is important. In my family... And again, this was just my personality. I have always been, and if you guys have followed me for any length of time, then you know that this is true. Um, My husband and I have had many interests over the years. My husband was a pastor for probably uh, pretty close to 20 years of our 33-year marriage, so a long time that we worked in the church. And so there were a lot of things that we were involved in as a family, and I did not want to be schooling my kids from 8.30 in the morning to 5 o'clock in the evening every night. And so we made that schedule a really important part of how we did school. And I tried to, um, sometimes I, I, you know, sometimes I was better at it than other times, but I tried to print a schedule for the kids every day that had sort of a printout of what they were doing individually and then time that was set aside in the schedule so that they could have one-on-one time with me. So we tried to read together in the morning. I still think when I look back on the years when we had uh, all seven of our kids at home particularly for the years that were very, very intense homeschooling for me, my favorite memories, and I think this is true of our kids as a general rule also, were just of the times that we read together in the mornings. And so we spent quite a bit of time, and I would I was the mom who was trying to get the kids up in the morning, you know, moving them into a routine. So I liked to make breakfast. That was a big deal for us. And there was a couple of years there, I'm trying to remember, how old the kids were because uh, we lived in a different part of Vancouver at the time. But I took the kids to swimming lessons in the morning. And I'll tell you what, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to go back and do anything different, I would have not done that again because we had to get you know out of the house and then down to uh, another part of town. 
by, you know, 745 in the morning. And as a homeschooler, I decided in that particular year and a half that I really value our lazy mornings. And by lazy, I just mean we were up, we were moving, making breakfast. The kids were getting their their schoolwork out and that kind of thing. But we had several hours every day that we could read together. So we read missionary stories. I read science books to the kids, history. We we talked about things. Those are the things that I remember the most about our homeschool. And frankly, I think probably had the greatest impact. And so we did that for a couple of hours. And then the kids had math and, you know, the individual lessons that you really can't do uh, all together. And then in the afternoon, if the older kids had still had work that was uh, left to be done, they did it. The younger kids were, you know, learning how to do whatever it is that was kind of on their heart. And I wanted those afternoon hours to be free. Part of the reason was because I was interested at that point as the kids had gotten older, I started a blog called The Busy Mom. Some of you will remember it. Uh, I started as a busy homeschool mom. And then eventually I took the word homeschool out and just was talking about the busy mom. And for that season in my life, it was recipes, trying to figure out how in the world to uh, feed seven children on a budget and how are we going to homeschool and and the things that helped me and were really um, a catalyst for moving The Busy Mom, which became like an online magazine out into the public square. And then after that, uh, I was offered the opportunity to write a book. And then after that, I began uh, uh, writing for Tyndale and it sort of morphed into what it is right now. But that didn't happen by itself. And so that meant that we had to be very intentional about how we used our time. And so for me, that's why I said, that's why I started off with talking about the schedule. Because for me, uh, if I didn't have a schedule and we didn't have a plan of action for the day, it was going to be really difficult to achieve the things we wanted to do. And I think as your kids get older, you can put more of your time and energy into teaching them to be independent learners so that in the afternoons, they are actually doing something that's interesting to them. And uh, and so that's what I would encourage you to do. Again, you guys, that book is called The Busy Homeschool Mom's Guide to Daylight, How to Fit Your Size 16 Day into a Size 10. I'm talking about meal planning in that book, choosing curriculum, uh, how to do your how to do your schedule uh, how to get um, how to get it all done, the things that you want to get done, and build relationships with your kids. And in the in the middle of all of this stuff, at the end of the day, it's important to to remember that what you are doing in training your children up, in spending time with them, in becoming the primary educator in your children's lives, is you are giving them an opportunity to walk in right relationship with the Lord. That's the most important thing that you're ever going to do as a mother as a father for sure, is to introduce your kids to the one who created them and loves them and will help them uh, for the rest of their lives. And then long after you close the last book in your homeschool journey, long after you're done teaching about prepositions and you've done long division until you just think you're going to die from it, uh, by the grace of God, you're going to have relationships with your adult children. And then they're going to be doing life with you. And it's one of the benefits, I think, of just encouraging uh, real, true relationship inside of homeschooling. So again, I hope that helps a little bit. I'm a huge fan. I'm just going to say it one more time of writing out a plan for your day so that your day doesn't hijack you. Uh, We'll take a quick break and I'll be right back. Next question comes from an anonymous listener in Canada, and she's wondering how to discuss racism with young children. She said, Heidi, I have listened to your show 
all the time for the last five years. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I would love it if you could point me in the direction of some good resources. We homeschool three children ages 11, 9, and 6, and we live in a rural area. We've not talked about the subject of racism with our children as we have always treated and seen those around us as human beings, no matter what their race. So it's never been a conversation that's been brought up. This summer in the closest community to us, there have been two separate incidents that have occurred around racism. One involving a sports team that my oldest child was in. Both incidents escalated quickly. There has been a lot of confusion and people offended from all sides and has not been resolved well. My children didn't understand what was going on during these incidents. And so we talked to them about intent and the vocabulary that was used. But I was wondering if you could please give us some advice and resources that I could further use that are sound and avoid the recent agenda angle that we see being pushed today. So you're right that there is definitely a a resurgence in talking about racism. It really, you know, I, I look back to my years in elementary school in particular, and even in high school, and this was not anything that we even ever talked about. It just never, it, it legitimately just never came up. And what we're seeing now with the advent of critical race theory, and again, this tribalism that's come into the culture, the sort of us versus them, I think you're right. It is time that we address the issue again. One of my favorite books that was ever that I have ever read written on the topic of racism is actually produced by Answers in Genesis, and it's called One Blood. And actually, I'm going to link back to a couple articles, and I might even bring uh, my friend Ken Ham on the show to talk about this. But I want to read to you just a little bit from one of uh, two articles that I have found in Answers in Genesis that I think would be worth you studying and then uh, check out one, uh, one Blood for Your Children. It says, all humans are descended from Adam and Eve. And so all are related and need salvation that's offered by the last Adam, Jesus. From a biblical perspective, there is one biological race. This is confirmed by scientific studies on the human genome. Biblically and scientifically, there is no defense for racism. The term race is often used to classify people based almost solely on physical characteristics. According to evolutionary ideas, these so-called races descended from different ancestors separated by location and time. However, based on biblical history, the term race is incorrect. We are all one race or one blood, according to Acts 17, verse 26. We are one race, the human race. It's not just black and white. A person's skin shade, which is on the outside, should in no way invoke a sort of prejudice or racist comments. What a difference we would see in our world if people reacted in accordance with biblical principles, understanding that humans are all equal before God, we are all sinners in need of salvation. Uh, In the United States culture, we are racially programmed. And I agree with with Ken. I mean, and we see this every day. It's getting worse by the day, uh, particularly in regard to skin color. Because of our culture's racist roots, the way the world thinks and the influence of Darwinian thinking, we have been programmed to look at the exterior rather than the interior of a person. And so we need to begin to see as God sees. Uh, He addresses interracial marriage, saying that a significant number of Christians would claim that, quote, interracial marriages directly violate God's principles and should not be allowed. But God's word does not say such a thing. And he asks the question, is there ultimately any such thing as interracial marriage if you believe that we are all one race? Uh, Janney Elementary School in Washington, D.C. recently gave children as young as four years old a lesson in anti-racism. So there's a lot of things happening in the culture right now that are injuring our children with regard to this discussion. 
But in chapter five uh, in his book, One Blood, so this is One Race, One Blood uh, by Ken Ham. This came out on January 8th of 2009, and then they printed it again in 2021. He reminds everyone again that racism is a consequence of sin in a fallen world that's been infused with evolutionary thinking and that the consequences of racism on a personal level and a social level are absolutely astronomical. And so out of chapter five of his book, he says, in this chapter, I'd like to encourage you to stand back from the debate for a moment. Up to this point, we've spent a lot of time looking at historical, biblical, and scientific facts. By looking at evidence and interpreting it through the grid of God's word, we've come to some startling, all-encompassing realizations. Racism is a consequence of sin in a fallen world, and the consequences are huge. So what do we do about it? We've done enough talking, so the time has come for action. And on the pages that follow, we'll be looking at some very practical and personal application points. Like any true biblical conviction, these actions should start from a changed heart and a changed understanding of what is real and true. In light of what we've learned, I believe at least three major action points are in order. First, I'd propose that we do away with the term race when discussing different groups of people in the world. And then he goes on to make a really wonderful uh, case for the fact that this actually came from Darwinism. He says that before Darwin, the term race was largely a political and geographical term. People that were closely related biologically, such as the English and the Irish, were considered to be separate races. Darwin's idea has permeated the entire globe and the teaching of evolution has really redefined the term race. Now, when people think of it, they're thinking of lower races, higher races, black races, red races. Even the best of us at times have struggled when we use that term. It just doesn't mean what it used to mean. So he makes up, a, he makes a great, a, a really great point. This is a wonderful article and I don't have time to read the whole thing again. It comes directly from his book. And he goes on to say, if you want to solve the issue of racism in your own life, it's very simple. You've got to believe the Bible in its account of the history of mankind and the problem that humans have uh, and the solution to it. This is the bottom line. You could spend millions of dollars trying to solve racial problems. You could pass new laws and institute all sorts of programs. But unless people believe God's word in regard to history and salvation, unless our minds are renewed, we will never have the full picture of reality. And we won't have the foundation that we need to make decisions that line up with the truth rather than a lie. Uh, and so this is excellent. I'm so uh, he said, the other thing he says, um, it's time to take action. James one twenty two commands us to be more than just hearers of the word. We are to prove ourselves as doers. We are to be a people of action. These actions must come from the heart of God, from a determined conviction that the issues of racism need to be confronted with truth and integrity. And so instead of looking at minor outward differences in our physical features or skin tone, it's time to look past the reflection of the small percentage of our genes and say, this is my brother. This is my sister. I am one blood with this person. This is a fantastic book. I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today. Everything that you uh, that you hear, that you read about uh, in the culture right now, particularly as it relates to racism, the racist doctrine that's coming into our schools now from critical race theory. It's another reason why I keep telling you, take your children out of these schools. They are injuring them, body, soul, mind, and spirit, and focus again on the importance of loving your family and loving each other. The Bible says that we are all one race. I'm gonna link back to this book and to these articles in the show notes today. Thank you guys for writing in. If you have a question for me or a comment, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash 
Mailbox Monday and leave those comments there. I also would love it if you would leave reviews for the podcast and become a supporter of the show by going to HeidiStJohn.com. Have a great day, everybody, and I will see you back here again at the intersection of faith 